0: The Shed Pod is a Perspex oval shaped balloon with blue translucent edges that glow when occupied. It allows a person to join me from one moment in the past and answer three big questions. They sound distant but can see me. Hello and welcome to Shedpod interview number four, C.S. Lewis. As you know, sound waves once created always keep bouncing through the universe in a space and time continuum. The Shedpod is able to tune into a portal in that continuum where sound and voices can be heard both ways. It is very delicate and can jump about a bit, but on the whole, We're able to hold some in-depth conversations for a limited time. Today we are somewhere in the 1940s. 1941 to 44 comes up on the dial. So as I do some fine-tuning, let's listen to Frank Sinatra with the Dorsey (laughs) Band.
1: And the shadows
2: falling
1: Or a land and sea Somewhere a voice is Calling, calling Somewhere a voice is called
0: Tommy Dorsey on trombone breathing in the middle of an eight-bar run to produce the air to tie all the phrases together a technique also copied by Frank Sinatra getting a long smooth flow of sound and a close relationship between the vocals and instruments all aboard. my guest for this full Shedfoot interview is from a very famous literary background and was played in the superb film about his life by Sir Anthony Hopkins. Shadowlands depicts the loving relationship between the great C. S. Lewis and the American writer Joy Grisham. However, there'll be no mention of that in this program. This shed pot is said for the war years, so I can't mention anything ahead of that t- time. Jack, who gave himself that nickname at the age of four and a half, is the man who created the land of Narnia and was on speaking terms with Aslan and High King Peter. And in the 1940s, the thing is that he was known more for his work in Christianity and that's the focus of the questions that I'll ask today. I hope you can hear me, Jack. How do you think... God copes with so many people praying to him at the same time, say 10.30. For example, what would happen if a pilot was crashing at exactly at that same moment in time and wanted his prayer to be answered?
3: Well, the first thing to notice is that the whole sting of it comes in the words at the same moment. Most of us can imagine a God attending to any number of claimants, if only they come one by one, and he has an endless time to do it. So what's really at the back of the difficulty is this idea of God having to fit too many things into one moment of time. Well, that, of course, is what happens to us. Our life comes to us moment by moment. One moment disappears before the next comes along and there's room for precious little in each. That's what time is like. And of course, you and I tend to take it for granted that this time series, this arrangement of past, present and future isn't simply the way life comes to us but is the way all things really exist we tend to assume that the whole universe, and God himself, are always moving on from a past to a future, just as we are. But many learned men don't agree with that. I think it was the theologians who first started the idea that some things are not in time at all. Later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same almost certainly God is not in time. His life doesn't consist of moments following one another if a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he hasn't got to listen to them all in that one little snippet which we call 10.30. 10.30 And every other moment from the beginning to the end of the world is always the present for him. If you like to put it that way, he has infinity in which to listen to the split second of prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in flames. That's difficult, I know. Can I try to give something not the same, but a bit like it? Suppose I'm writing a novel. I write, Mary laid down her book, next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who's got to live in the imaginary time of the story, there's no interval between putting down the book and hearing the knock. But I, her creator, between writing the first part of that sentence and the second, may have gone out for an hour's walk. spent the whole hour thinking about Mary. I know that's not a perfect example, but it may just give a glimpse of what I mean.
0: Thank you for that, Jack. While we try and absorb the idea, let's listen to record number two. that was uh, the incomparable Tommy Dorsey again is uh, what would be his signature theme I'm getting sentimental over you and it's such a positive identification immediately of the big band era Um, it's always introduced a broadcast by Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra and again the pure singing sound of that trombone was so special And the tune itself, it's such a charming melody that it provides the warmest kind of invitation to listening. So let's move on to our next question. Jack, you've taught on the BBC about each individual person needing their natural self to be turned into a Christ self. What exactly do you mean by this? And isn't it a bit self-indulgent during this time of crisis? Now,
3: what would an NCO say to a soldier who had a dirty rifle and when told to clean it, replied, but Sergeant, isn't it very selfish, even morbid, to be always bothering about the inside of your own rifle instead of thinking of the United Nations? Well, we needn't bother about what the NCO would actually say. You see the point. The man is not going to be much use to the United Nations if his rifle isn't fit to shoot with. In the same way, people who are still acting from their old natural selves won't do much real permanent good to other people. Let me explain that. History isn't just a story of bad people doing bad things. It's quite as much a story of people trying to do good things but somehow something goes wrong. Take the common expression, cold as charity. How do we come to say that? From experience we've learnt how unsympathetic, patronizing, and conceited charitable people often are. And yet hundreds and thousands of them started out really anxious to do good And when they'd done it, somehow it just wasn't as good as it ought to have been. The old story. What you are comes out in what you do. A crab apple tree can't produce eating apples. As long as the old self is there, its taint will be over all we do. We try to be religious and become Pharisees. We try to be kind and become patronizing. Social service ends in red tape and officialdom. Unselfishness becomes a form of showing off. I don't mean of course that we're to stop trying to be good. We've got to do the best we can. If the soldier's fool enough to go into battle with a dirty rifle he mustn't run away. But I do mean that the real cure lies far deeper. Out of ourselves and into Christ we must go the change won't for most of us happen suddenly and I must admit that for most Christians it'll only be beginning to the very end of our present lives but there are some in whom it goes further even before this far enough for you to see it their very faces and voices are different when you meet them you know you're up against something which so to speak begins where you leave off something stronger, quieter happier, more alive than ordinary humanity.
0: I think I know what you mean. The first group you mentioned were all concerned with what I must do, Um, something on the surface level of change, of being good, but real deep goodness needs a change made by relying on the Holy Spirit to shine through and do the changing. But... Which particular changes do you think are the most important?
3: Back to my main subject. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. And that this process goes on very far inside. One's most private wishes, one's point of view, are the things that have to be changed.
1: I came here from Dixie, right from the solid south. I came here from Dixie, right from the solid south. I was happy down there, now I'm down in the mountains I was walking on air way down in Tennessee. I say I was walking on air way down in Tennessee. of N.B. Oh, my misery. The low bass and street blues is the only blues for me.
0: That was from a November 1940 jam session with Dinah Shaw singing Dinah's Blues, accompanied by Harry Laherne and the Dicterland Octet. I think Jack that Diana Shore is on the threshold of stardom. She really already has a recording contract with Victor, broadcasting contract with NBC, and in that autobiographical song, she also mentions the radio program with that strange name that brought her her first taste of fame. That's the uh, was it the Chamber Music Society of Lower Basin Street. She is real gold. Okay, now, let's get back to the real meat of the question. Uh, And this is, I think, the number one. What would you say is the first step when looking for the real self in God?
3: Well, it's rather like that with Christ. When you've completely given up yourself to his personality, You will, then, for the first time in your life, be developing into a real person. He made the whole world. He invented, as an author invents characters in a book, all the different men that you and I were intended to be. Our real selves are, so to speak, all waiting for us in him. What I call myself now is hardly a person at all. It's mainly a meeting place for various natural forces, desires and fears, etc., some of which come from my ancestors and some from my education, some perhaps from devils. The self you were really intended to be is something that lives not from nature but from God. At the beginning of these talks, I said there were personalities in God. Well, I go further now. There are no real personalities anywhere else. I mean, no full, complete personalities. It's only when you allow yourself to be drawn into His life that you turn into a true person. But on the other hand, it's just no good at all going to Christ for the sake of developing a fuller personality. As long as that's what you're bothering about, you haven't begun. Because the very first step towards getting a real self is to forget about the self. It will come only if you're looking for something else. That holds, you know, even for earthly matters. Even in literature art no man who cares about originality will ever be original it's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice it even in social life you'll never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking what sort of impression you make that principle runs all through life from the top to the bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Submit to death. Submit with every fiber of your being and you'll find eternal life. Look for Christ and you'll get him and with him everything else thrown in.
0: I think we may be losing our connection with Jack. There seems to be some atmospheric interference building up. I'll try it one more time while you listen to Vera Lynn. We both told a
2: Here am I, and you cry, so do I What fools we have been, we do We both were to blame for being so jealous Just one little word made us so
0: I'm sorry but that seems to be the end of this Shed Pod for today, can now safely tell you that the transcript of those broadcasts of C.S. Lewis at the BBC are now available in his book entitled Mere Christianity, although I prefer the original title, Right and Wrong, A Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. I wonder how it compares with Brian Cox's new series out next week on the Universe. I can't wait. Thanks for listening. And please join me in the next Shedpud interview with another surprise guest plucked from the timeless presence of the Shedpud ether. And so, from me, goodbye for now.